Hi, this is Perry Gilpin, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Ed Robertson, welcoming you to TV Confidential. Radio talk show about television has taken a few days off this week. We'll be back with a brand new edition of the program next week. Our second hour will include a replay of a conversation that originally aired in August 2012 with Barry Livingston. Barry Livingston, the actor known around the world as Ernie Douglas on My Three Sons. Barry, of course, is the younger brother of Stanley Livingston, who played Chip on My Three Sons. Barry tells us what it's like to work with your brother every day on a network TV series. He also shares some memories of working with Don Grady, as well as some of his other film and TV roles, including working with Paul Newman, Martin Landau, John Cassavetes, and Robert Downey Jr. Barry will also tell us the story of how he learned how to drive a stick shift on the fly while filming an episode of The Streets of San Francisco. We will replay our conversation with Barry Livingston beginning in our second hour. We hope you'll stay tuned for that. In the meantime, and speaking of The Streets of San Francisco... We will begin this hour with an encore presentation of our conversation from November 2011 with our friend Jim Rosen. Jim's books on television include The Streets of San Francisco, a Quinn Martin TV series. Everything you wanted to know about the long-running ABC police drama starring Carl Malden and Michael Douglas. Quinn Martin himself believed that The Streets of San Francisco was the best TV series that he ever produced. We will talk about that and more in just a second. But first, as we pick up the conversation, we said to Jim, you've really become the go-to guy when it comes to books about Quinn Martin television series. What is it about the Quinn Martin shows that appeals to you, and why do they continue to appeal to us? Well, I think he, he just, he ran a very uh, well-organized uh, company. He was a dynamic man, and all of his shows were uh, done with quality. He had a great strength in uh, in, in uh, delegating the the proper authority to the right people and uh, keeping everything in place. And uh, his shows, as you know, were you know formulaic to a certain extent. But I, I think he, one of his uh, great um, advantages was he knew um, what the audience wanted, and he gave it to them. He yeah. never shortchanged them uh, on the on the uh, on the screen on the small screen. And uh, he paid his performers uh, top dollar, and he, he paid the people that worked for him uh, a good salary. Uh, he told them they'd work very hard, and they did. But he, he, I think he took care of them. And I think the majority of people that I met, uh, and, and also uh, for my working on some of the Quinn Martin shows when I was an actor, uh, the, the overall uh, feeling you take away from was that it was a very... Uh, a very good organization, and uh, you dealt with nice people. Well, I, I forget exactly who, but um, one of the, um, as you know, uh, Jim, that you know, Quinn liked to work with certain actors, and not. And it's not like they had. It's not like he had a, a an official repertory company, but there were certain actors like a Richard Anderson, like a Carol Rawson, uh, that whenever they were available, you know, Quinn or his producers. Would, would call on them and they would gladly do, you know, whether it's Streets of San Francisco, whether it's the Invaders, whether it's the FBI, whatever whatever show Quinn had in production on the time. And I forget which actor, it may have been Carol Rossin, it may have been Richard Anderson, who said in many respects the Q in Quinn Martin, you, you might say it also stood for quality. Oh, it was. It really was. And I picked uh, both uh, – 
both of the shows that were my favorites. I mean, I liked all the Quinn Martin shows, but I thought the, the, the two most unique TV series that he did were The Invaders and were uh, and Streets of San Francisco. And that was basically it, having watched them, having enjoyed them, and, and having felt they were unique. And I wasn't the only one that thought so. It, they were enjoyed by millions of people. So you put all those things together, and that certainly motivated me to do the uh, two books on both of those TV series. In some, in some respects, Jim, Streets of San Francisco was... It was similar to The Fugitive, and to some extent it was similar to The Untouchables and the FBI in that it was essentially an anthology show with two recurring characters. Yes. John Wilder, uh, who was the executive story consultant, but almost like a producer the first season, and then the producer the second and third year, and a very uh, talented man who really... wanted to understand filmmaking and not just be a writer. Uh, he told me that when he and Cliff Gould, uh, the first season producer, set out to do the show, they they didn't want it to be just a, a cop show with the two detectives uh, versus uh, weekly bad guys. They really wanted to do a show about the indigenous people of San Francisco and their problems. It was somewhat similar to Naked City. Yeah. And that's what they set out to do, and I think to a large extent they succeeded. And when you combine that that element in the writing with the uh, the the camaraderie that existed between the two lead actors and the background of the show, the most picturesque city in the country, it, it, it really created a, a very special and unique TV series. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about Carl Mull and Michael Douglas in just a second. But first, going back, going back to the approach that uh, Wilder and Cliff Gould took to Streets of San Francisco, because really, you know, uh, even though uh, Cliff uh, left the show after one year and John left it at the end of the third year, uh, the show continued for another two years, and it, it, it still carried the stamp that they put on the show when they were on. But you, you mentioned Naked City. Naked City was another great anthology show. It was a show about characters. The interesting thing about Streets is that the villains, like you said, the, the villains were not stick figures by any stretch. They were well-rounded. But even the the victims, the characters who you only see in the first couple of minutes and they end up as a corpse and then um, you know, Stone and Keller would investigate what happened, even the victims had a backstory that came out in the course of the investigation. Yeah, that, that was part of the, uh, of the interesting thing about the writing. Uh, the, the characters uh, uh, that, that, that uh, were afoul of the law for some reason were not stone-cold criminals, and um, even when they were, they, they gave a background, as you say, and they gave them dimension, and you kind of saw a history of why they were the way they were, and it created an interest. And, and then, of course, you had people that, that, that just were, for some reason, uh, were in violation of, uh, of the law and, and were not uh, hardened criminals. Uh, just by misfortune or uh, misjudgment or misdeed, and those were people that you, you rooted for to a certain extent to get out of that predicament. So uh, that was a very important part in the structure of the uh, writing and the, uh, the format of the show. We're talking to Jim Rosen, actor, screenwriter, TV historian, and the author of many, many great books on pop culture, including The Streets of San Francisco, 
The Streets of San Francisco, a Quinn Martin TV series, which you can find by visiting Jim's website, ClassicTVSeriesBooks.com, www.ClassicTVSeriesBooks.com. Jim, we are talking about the approach that uh, John Wilder and Cliff Gould uh, took to uh, conceiving uh, the streets of San Francisco, not only the Carl Malden and Michael Douglas characters, but also the perpetrators and also the villains. And as you said, they, they did their best to, you know, humanize uh, the killers or, you know, the, soci- the sociopaths that uh, Stone and Keller had to investigate from week to week to week. And it made the show realistic and it made the show compelling. But I understand it, ha- it, it ultimately took its toll on John Walder. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, he really invested himself in the, in the show. And he, he was someone that really wanted to understand the whole process of filmmaking. So he was uh, in, you know, post-production as well as pre-production and then uh, rewriting the scripts and uh, involved in, you know, casting and every facet of the show as the producer. He was, he was not uh, uh, like uh, many of the producers today where their chief concern is where you have so many of them on staff and their chief concern is to, uh, as a hyphenate, a writer-producer, to write the scripts. And their, or their participation in the overall production is, is somewhat reduced because there are other people that are responsible for that. John uh, really was uh, in charge of much of it. Uh, of course, Quinn Martin uh, had someone that, that was in charge of, uh, of, of post-production and editing. But John was not someone to uh, just... Uh, to you know, uh, divest himself of that. He wanted to be involved, and he wanted to make sure that, that when the answer print was sent to the network, it had his stamp of approval on it as well. After three years of that, he was tired. Yeah, no, he was he was the showrunner in every sense of the word. But the other thing, not not only because you know he threw himself in every aspect of the production, but because he was so um, he, he he was particularly he kept a particular eye on the writing and the characterizations. Of the show, and as we're talking before, we're you know doing their best to humanize um, the the perpetrators. You have a great line in the book where he talks about it, it got a little too close, and it, it got to the point where because he spent so much time trying to understand the other side of these you know some of these heinous people, he needed to he needed to get out. And Quinn tried to talk him out of it. Yeah, he says, why, why are you concerned yourself? It's it's only make believe. John said, no, it's not. It's you know he was saying that. I don't want to take a, uh, a cookie-cutter approach to this. I really I want this to be as authentic and genuine as possible. I want these characters to be three-dimensional. So, And I, I don't want any of my writers to, uh, to digress from that. And uh, I think because of that approach, it really enriched uh, the TV series. And not only uh, the guest cast, but he was also very careful to uh, maintain a balance between Michael and Carl Malden and make sure that uh, Michael as the co-star had things to do. Uh, there's an interesting uh, comment that he talks about uh, and, and that he makes in the book, and he says that in scenes where you had Carl Malden in the forefront as the lead detective, even if Michael was not uh, heavy with dialogue in the scene, uh, they would defer to him in the background because he would be uh, busy and active checking on things and then at the end of the scene, he might call to Carl's attention that he found something that was enlightening or germane to the case or relevant. 
and it uh, put them on a new path. So in that sense, he was always uh, uh, keeping this parity between the, the uh, two lead lead actors and uh and, and also, Carl Malden was very uh, supportive of Michael and, and encouraged the producers to give Michael, this was at the very beginning, as much to do as uh, he could and showcase him. Uh, but, uh, I, don't, I think Carl Malden, to a great extent, was uh, at that point in his career and his life was, uh, uh, was uh, selfless and, uh, as an actor and very giving and very supportive. He had no agenda, you know, he, he was an established uh, Academy Award-winning actor. He had nothing to prove. So he saw in Michael a, uh, I guess, uh, great potential. And uh, he would, uh, uh, Michael said to me at one point, you know, during the first season, you know, uh, a lot of times in particular, your co-star would be in the background in the soft focus. Carl would say, no, come, come up, stand beside me here because he wanted Michael really to uh, share the spotlight with him. And uh, um, th that was a wonderful part of the show, the chemistry and harmony between those two men. They, they genuinely had a love for each other. I think, in a sense, Michael was the son that Carl never had. You know, he had two daughters. His daughter, was a, his one daughter, is a wonderful writer, by the way, uh, Carla Malden. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I, I think... I think in that sense uh, he looked out. He looked out for Michael, and also um, uh, I think he felt a responsibility because he and Kirk Douglas had a, uh, a friendship that went back many years in summer stock to the early 1940s, and um, I, I think uh, he felt that Michael was left in his care. And 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 I can remember uh, there was a, an American Film Institute uh, program. Those wonderful tributes they have to Kirk Douglas. And Carl Malden stood up and said to him at the time, "You've you, you've raised four four good sons, uh, Kirk. Uh, thank you for letting me have Michael for four. And I think that said it all. We're, we're talking to Jim Rosen, actor, screenwriter, TV historian, and the author of many many great books on classic television, including The Streets of San Francisco, The Streets of San Francisco, a Quinn Martin TV series, which you can find by visiting Jim's website, Classic." tvseriesbooks.com. We'll take a quick time out, then we'll continue our conversation with Jim about the streets of San Francisco here on TV Confidential. Ed Robertson, hoping you're enjoying this encore presentation of TV Confidential. We'll be back with a brand new edition of the program next week. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk tvconfidential.net talk at tvconfidential.net you can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential x.com forward slash tvconfidential or at tvconfidential on Instagram and if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast please be sure to hit the subscribe button this portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time homebuyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.